is hot girl summer? Is that exactly what it sounds like? Yeah, it's where you like decide to just be like, we're looking sexy and we are making out with boys and we're going out partying with our friends. I mean, I'm emotionally preparing myself to leave my house. And I feel like that's about as hot girl summer as it's going to get for me. Yeah. But that's a big step. That's a big step for me. Yeah, it is a big step. But there's lots of people that are like, I'm buying all my sexy clubbing clothes and I'm I'm not going to rest until I have 10 orgasms a month. (laughs) That's not that many. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, I am not emotionally prepared for a hot girl summer. (laughs) I mean, I guess if you're starting from zero, it is a lot. It is. I guess that is a lot. All right. Like, well, you know, I mean, during lockdown, who knows? Although I know, wish I had not said more than any one of way those words. <laughs> I wish I had not said those words. Well, here we are. And we are not emotionally prepared to have a hot girl summer. This is Well, Here We Are, a weekly podcast which explores the ways pop culture and the humanities matter for our daily lives by distilling them into lists of three-ish things. Today, we're revisiting our old friend makeup and doing a mini-investigation into what we're calling the post-Fenty beauty age. In other words, we're talking about the what's, who's, and how's of inclusive makeup. What does inclusivity mean? Who is it for? And who even is Fenty? I'm Hannah. And I'm Suzanne. Before we get into all that, we have a small but important announcement. We have a website. We have you a find... website that you made, Hannah. You did it. This is all you. I did I'm it. You all and if your you're cookies. listening to these words, it's because I finished doing it. You can find blog posts and further episode links and other fun things at wellherepod.com. You can also find a link to a donate button. Of course, we are a free podcast, but if you'd like to kick us a few dollars to help cover our costs, we would be so very grateful. Yeah, and another word, it says on the website, I think, like, buy me a coffee, buy us a coffee. Mm-hmm. But you could also call this the Helping Hannah and Suzanne podcast from the same room fund or the please fix your editing software fund, your fade in and fade out is unacceptable fund. We have been patiently waiting to record another podcast about makeup because the two of us talk about it on the reg, but... We know not everyone talks about it or thinks about it regularly. In our second episode, we talked about why we kept wearing makeup even when we never leave our houses and how our makeup consumption has changed. But that's only part of the discussion. Yeah, we we hinted at in that second episode that there are all sorts of issues to talk about makeup. And we kind of just like skimmed over the surface of them. But there are problems with the way that the makeup industry puts unrealistic beauty standards on predominantly women. There's this trend towards hyper-consumerism where there's almost this like fast fashion attitude towards makeup brands putting out launches. All of that is a huge problem. But today we want to start chipping away at the pretty significant iceberg problem with the makeup industry that has to do with inclusivity in makeup. That's right. It's the return of one of our nemeses, sneaky racism. Yeah, I felt like we should have some like intro music for sneaky racism coming back into the picture. In a 2019 article in The Guardian, Fumi Feto, a black woman who is a former beauty editor for Vogue, now I think she writes for Glamour, and she's written a couple of books as well. She wrote about how the first time she truly felt black was when she was shopping for makeup with her white friends. She said, and this is a, a long quote, stick with me. 
One day, I walked into the local pharmacy with my Caucasian friends to scope the beauty offering. While my friends giggled excitedly about their finds, everything I tried either left an ashy finish or just didn't show up. The, the pigments weren't strong enough. Still, I persevered because at that age, aren't we all desperate to be part of the collective? I moved towards the foundations and chose the darkest shade. It was called Biscuit. I looked like I had white chalk on my skin. I laughed to hide my embarrassment, but at that moment, everything changed. Suddenly, color mattered in more ways than one. This is when I realized I was black. It was like I had turned up to a party to which I was not invited. I felt irrelevant, excluded, and ashamed. The message from the beauty industry was loud and clear. I was not valuable enough to be part of the conversation. So two years before Funmi wrote this article, Robin Rihanna Fenty, a.k.a. Rihanna, a.k.a. Bad Girl Riri, launched Fenty Beauty. And within the makeup beauty industry, there is a narrative that the inclusivity problem in the industry has been fixed to a certain degree. Particularly, the makeup industry will cite the launch, the 2017 launch of Fenty Beauty as the catalyst for change that fixed it all. Time Magazine in 2018 even named Fenty Beauty one of the best inventions of 2017 and used the phrase the Fenty effect to talk about how Fenty Beauty has changed the makeup industry. The idea being that because we now live in a post-Fenty world, the Fenty effect has taken hold, and now all other brands are going to be as inclusive as Fenty. But how much of that narrative can we actually accept? Our three-ish things for today, how did Fenty Beauty change the makeup game? How have things kind of stayed the same? And how does that idea of inclusivity hold up? Have you tried Fenty Beauty? Like, are you a Fenty Beauty stan? I wish I could say yes. Um, not because I don't like Fenty Beauty, but because I cannot afford Fenty Beauty products. No, that's not true. I have the I have the lip glosses. I have yeah. some of the, uh, one set of the mini lip glosses. They're great. I love them. I would like to try more products, please. Thank yeah, you. I am a I'm a little worried that the Fenty stands are going to find this episode. But you know, it is if the if the Swifties didn't find us, then I think we're probably safe from the. So, what is Fenty Beauty? How did it how did it change things? We're saying that it's been called a quote industry disruptor. It brought in this Fenty effect, but what did it do? How did that happen? So Fenty Beauty launched in 2017 at New York Fashion Week. Their company motto is beauty for all. And believe it or not, that was actually a pretty revolutionary motto. This idea that like a makeup company from its foundation, haha <laughs> foundation from its inception, <laughs> said that we are beauty for all. And I was actually kind of curious about this and wondered what the mottos were of some other well-known makeup brands that were are still around but were around in 2017. Benefits motto was laughter is the best cosmetic, <laughs> which I think is a all statement, right. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Urban Decays is pretty different. In other words, like, hashtag not like other girls beauty. Yeah. Tarte, high performance naturals, Morphe. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, these are all, these are currently their mottos. Morphe, you're going to like this one. Blend the rules. Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) That's a head scratcher. Yeah. Blend, Blend the rules. Blend the rules. 
So like keep the rules, but just like blend them around the edges. Blend them together? So even this statement that their company motto is saying beauty for all is implicitly stating that beauty has not been for all. And this was made even clearer when Fenty Beauty launched with 40 foundation shades. Now, this might not seem like a big deal, but this was actually a pretty significant deal. And this is what people point back to when they call it the Fenty effect. Fenty has since expanded their foundation shade range, so they now actually have 50 shades. And this launch, specifically the launch of the complexion products of foundation, was hugely successful. From launch day, the darkest shades of this foundation were sold out everywhere. It Fenty Beauty made $100 million in sales in the first 40 days. By 2019, the brand was worth $3 billion. In two years, it was worth $3 billion. So when it launched and the 40 shades of foundation were sold, celebrated, there was immediately this like, but so-and-so brand also has 40 shades. Makeup Forever even posted like an Instagram post that was like, we've had 40 shades for years. And Rihanna responded and said, still ashy though. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then deleted her <laughs> comment. <laughs> oh, oh, that's great. I didn't know that. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, and then since and then deleted her comment, of course. But what what Fenty really did though was change the composition. It, it did two things. It, it one, it changed the composition of the darker toned makeup, and two, it changed the accessibility of the darker toned makeup. I was watching this video with Tasha Rako Brown, who's a black makeup artist, and she says that when she's doing people's makeup, she has kind of a three-part analysis that she does to pick foundation. She says the first thing she looks at is undertone. So undertone is what is not, it doesn't have to do with skin pigment. It has to do with like the tone that is under your skin pigment. So you'll hear people talk about being cool toned, which means that they tend to have a little bit more pink in the skin. You'll hear people talk about being more warm toned, that they have more yellow in this, their skin. I'm considered like more of a neutral tone, which means that I have like a little bit more olive in my skin. Um, people will talk about having more red in your skin. Like these all have to do with your undertone. And often what would happen is when Makeup companies that predominantly focused on the composition of lighter toned makeup for fair and light tones, the chemical compositions of foundation doesn't actually change from person to person. The percentage of pigment, however, does need to change. And so often brands, what they would do to get a darker foundation was they would take a lighter foundation and they would simply darken the foundation, causing the intense like white base of these lighter foundations to be grayed out. So you then put that foundation on darker skin and you look ashy, you look gray, which is what Rihanna accused like makeup forever of. So what they were doing a lot of times was taking lighter skin foundations, maybe designed for a cool toned, light skinned person, and they would simply darken that foundation and on darker skin it would not have the same effect it would it would not look good it was kind of like exactly what that uh quote that you had from the beauty editor mm -hmm. it was like the biscuit the biscuit effect yeah 
The dark skinned foundations in Fenty Beauty, however, there was a wide number of them, but they also had very distinct undertones. So you had very deep shades that had a slight red undertone. You had very deep shades that had a slight neutral undertone. And this sounds like such a simple thing, but this was pretty revolutionary that this happened. And that unlike a Makeup Forever, which maybe slowly released, slowly expanded their shade range, Estee Lauder has a pretty significant shade range, but they've slowly expanded it from day one, Fenty Beauty, 40 shades. There's a Forbes article that kind of analyzes Fenty Beauty. And they stated that what Fenty Beauty did was create a product that reset what would satisfy the market. Consumers knew that they actually did not have to wait anymore because they now know that it is possible. They now know it is possible to launch with 40 shades and to launch with shades that are going to work for their skin and work for their undertone. The company lines of, well, we had to do a small launch or we had to, you know, it just takes longer to formulate or all these things that makeup companies had been saying for years, consumers all of a sudden knew Oh, yeah. No, that's like, that's not going to cut it anymore. About a year after Fenty launched Benefit Cosmetics, whose motto is laughter is the best cosmetic. (laughs) Like, it's just utter nonsense. It's just like total nonsense. They launched a foundation with 32 shades, but only five of them were for anything darker than like medium tan. And when they were criticized for this, they basically said, well... When we expand the foundation range, we're going to expand the darker shades. And and uh, people were like, okay, so you're just telling us that if we have a deeper skin tone than like tan, we have to wait. Why not just have 32 shades of a diverse shade range and then expand filling in the, the parts of the shade range that you weren't able to do on the first launch? But all of the focus is is put still by some brands on this like light, fair light medium range and because of Fenty Beauty consumers are now like oh this is a choice (laughs) this is a choice that brands are making to do this and I also mentioned accessibility Funmi said that in her in the article you quoted but I've heard like beauty youtubers who are black or have darker toned skin say I can find my shade but it's not in the store Like, I can find Maybelline Fit Me that is in my shade, but I go to the drugstore, I go to Target, and it's not on the shelf. What Fenty did was say, like, nope, we are launching and we are putting all 40 shades, now all 50 shades, in the stores. So you are going to see all 50 shades. They, they like, basically said we're going to treat all skin tones as equal consumers, which, again, sounds like such a simple concept. But if you go to a website, even now for a makeup company, look at the thumbnail of the product they choose to show. They tend to choose to show a lighter shade range. Fenty Beauty switches all of that. So you go to Fenty's website. Some of their products have a deeper complected bottle of foundation showing. Their powder foundation might show a medium skinned foundation. They're marketing their products like they have a diverse shade range. And then you you click into the product and they have the deeper shades first and then they move lighter, which is such a subtle thing. But that had never been done before. I'm speaking a little bit hyperbolically. You makeup historians out there might be like, actually, no, Iman Cosmetics did the same thing. I'm saying it was never been done before. 
a little hyperbolically. That is what created the Fenty effect. It's only kind of grown from there. Fenty has 50 shades of concealer, which is also pretty revolutionary because the idea is that, yeah, while you need a more direct skin tone match for your foundation, you don't need a perfect skin tone match for your concealer because you're using that to brighten or it might go under your foundation. So it doesn't need to be perfect. And Fenty Beauty was like, oh, no, we're not going to do that. (laughs) We're going to have just as expansive of a concealer range because why should particularly darker skinned people who wear makeup Why should they have to try to make a product work? Why not just make a product that works for them? That is what changed the beauty industry or is said to have changed the beauty industry four years ago. Any questions? I'm just curious if you know, like when we talk about brands being available in stores or certain shades being available in stores, whether you know that where the decision making has come from? Is it like CVS saying we're not going to carry all 50 shades of Maybelline Fit Me? Or is it Maybelline saying we're not going to make all these available to you? I think if I remember correctly, if a brand wants to have their makeup on the shelves at Ulta or Sephora, they have to pay Ulta or Sephora. And the more shelf space oh, so they're you like want, paying rent. Yes, basically. And the more shelf space you want, the more expensive it is. It is the brands deciding how much of their Uh, shelf space they are going to devote to the product. Interesting. Well, that is incredibly frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) The turducken of racism strikes again. The turducken of racism. I mean, just to um, carve into the turducken, if we're going to continue that metaphor. We must at this point. (laughs) I think we just have to now. And I'm also picturing it in my mind, if that helps you. I want to talk a little bit about how this expansion of inclusivity has not extended to other products. So I think that huge strides have been made, as you have demonstrated, huge strides have been made in foundation and concealer and complexion products. But in other products, there doesn't seem to be the same kind of inclusivity. There doesn't seem to be the same kind of shade range in most of the other kinds of products of makeup. And I think that's for a few reasons. Using foundation and concealer to judge inclusivity is easy and it's convenient because you can just basically take a quick snapshot of like what the what the shade range is. So 40 shades good, 12 shades bad. And it's it's easy to like quantify that. Just from like a number standpoint, we can say this thing is good and this thing is bad. And it doesn't necessarily reflect like personal preference for the most part with with some exceptions. Because people in general look to wear a foundation that closely matches their skin tone. And the reality is that most makeup products should be produced in a way that caters to multiple skin and hair tones, but many of them do not. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about products like blush, bronzer, lipstick, eyebrow products, it seems obvious that dark skinned people need darker toned products or maybe more pigmented products that will actually show up on their skin. And in fact, it it is obvious that they would need that. But just a cursory search into a lot of blush and bronzer lines or any of those products I just mentioned quickly shows that all skin tones are rarely accommodated. And I thought about doing a deep dive into the brands at like Sephora and Ulta to see which blushes and bronzers are in which brands are acceptable to darker skin tones. And then I thought maybe I'm not the best person to decide 
what is acceptable. <laughs> so I watched, I recently watched a video by YouTuber uh, Nima Tang, who is of South who Sudanese we love. descent. Yeah, she's great. She's very dark and she has a lot of videos calling out racism in the beauty industry. In this particular video, she she basically walked through Sephora and bought the darkest shade of bronzer from every brand in Sephora and tried them all on. We'll link it on the on the new website if you're curious. It was really like a laugh so we don't cry video. It was absolutely atrocious. Like I watched the entire video with my jaw dropped that this is the best these brands can do. She, I think she talked about how I think Fenty now has a bronzer that is deep enough for her to use. And there's a MAC contour palette that I know she, I've seen her use. But I think she talked about how she would often have to use eyeshadow. She, yeah, she uses eyeshadow. She talks about it in the video. She yeah. has to use eye, yeah, eyeshadow because there aren't any, any products that are that are labeled or advertised as bronzers that are dark enough for her skin. She was like, I could use this as a highlight. I could use this as a setting powder or an under eye powder, but it's not a bronzer for my skin tone. And there's also a lot of the same problem that you were talking about with foundations of maybe there's 40 shades, but only five of the shades are in the darker skin range. Mm -hmm. But a lot of brands, when you first look, will say there's like between 12 and 20 blushes in a certain range, but 10 of them are for are for white people basically and they if it's it's not going to show up as a blush on someone as certainly as dark as Nima but on on many many people and even even in 2021 when brands launch there's still I've noticed there's still it's heavy heavy in the light range I'm not going to put Jaclyn Hill on blast except I just did oops <laughs> I also put bite beauty on blast did you see oh, their vacation the daycation blushes, the like serum blushes. Oh, the ones they with. just put out. Yeah, they yeah. they only released four shades. This is one of those things though, like the Fenty effect means that they know that that darker skinned consumers buy products, a lot of products. That's something I didn't mention, which is actually the lowest market share of people buying their makeup are white women. It's their biggest market share is black and Latina people who wear yeah, makeup wear consuming makeup. their yeah. products. So I think Brands like Bite, brands like Jaclyn Hill Cosmetics, they know that people with deeper skin tones wear makeup. And so now they are, they are hiring models with deeper skin tones to showcase their makeup. But if you look at these daycation blushes that Bite Beauty put out, they are blushes on the light and medium skin toned people. They are highlighters on deeper skin toned yeah. people. Like just like come on like come on like what are we doing here and whatever we're doing we're not doing it well <laughs> <laughs> laughter is really the best cosmetic it's, as I it's have all often said. it's all we can do yeah <laughs> the best cosmetic yeah and since we're since we're putting brands on blast i want to talk about hourglass hourglass cosmetics is a it's a pretty expensive, luxurious, too high-end brand that is pretty well thought of in the YouTube community overall. Recently, they stopped, I guess they didn't stop producing this product recently. They stopped producing, I think several years ago at this point, they stopped producing the Illume Sheer Color Trio, which is a face palette with a cream, bronzer, blush, and highlight, so they could reformulate it. And a lot of people thought that when they re-released it, when they reformulate it, that they would release it in more than one shade because it had only been available in one shade for all those years. But they didn't. They released it in just that one shade. And they were highly criticized in the beauty community. 
seemingly as a response to this criticism, I interpret it as a response to the criticism. I don't know if that was the intent. No, Hannah, they they probably just intended to always release more products later. Yeah. Let's just trust brands implicitly. (laughs) They all have good in their hearts. Just after dropping that, they dropped another palette, which was modeled by a black model. This was a three-pan face powder palette that what looks like... I've never seen this palette with my my own two eyeballs, but it looks like two very light powder shades and one kind of shimmery bronzer that's being held by a model and lit in such a way as to suggest that that model could wear that product, which we all knew was a big fat lie. This product was way too light for that model. To be honest, it would probably work for me. I know a lot of you don't know what I look like. I'm white. It would probably work for me and probably not anyone a lot darker than me. Just out of curiosity, I checked the reviews on this palette on Sephora's website and was surprised to see that it got four stars out of almost 2,000 reviews until I scrolled down and I saw photos that the reviewers had posted. And guess what? They're all white. So it's hard not to think that what happened here is that Hourglass saw the criticism from the sheer color trio, which is that it didn't accommodate darker people. And instead of releasing more shades or even making the next product darker, what they did was to hire a black model and use dramatic lighting to create an illusion of inclusion. And that, my friends, is what we call pandering. I I really wanted to call out Hourglass for this egregious failure. It's been, I think even before we started creating this podcast, I was like, I really want to put Hourglass on, on blast. And I, I initially subtitled this this episode, In Which Hourglass Thinks We're Stupid, But many, many brands are guilty of this. Only releasing products in a handful of shades and saying they're like, quote unquote, universally flattering or releasing a lot of shades, but 10 of them are in the light range. One is medium and one is dark. Mm -hmm. As if medium and dark skinned people don't want more than one blush option. If we just give them one option, they'll be happy with that one. What this also like makes me think of is like how many of these brands have come out they how they use darker skinned models to show how inclusive they are. But then when consumers are frustrated by the actual lack of product inclusivity, how defensive they get. It's such like a strange thing. I think Nude Sticks was criticized for their concealer range. And then we're told like, well, we're going to expand later. And then we're like, well, lots of people like it and just got like weirdly defensive. And you're like, okay, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, why are you so defensive? Like if people are telling you your product does not work for the people that you say it is supposed to work for. And these brands are like, nah, yeah, it does. <laughs> like, what are we doing? <laughs> they also do this really wacky thing where they say, well, those people just don't buy our products. They'll say like black women don't buy our products. What, what products are you referring to? They can't buy something you don't make. This makes no sense. And if the thing that you make is bad, yeah, people aren't going to buy it. Like <laughs> One that flies under the radar a little bit, I think, but is equally stupid, is that brands will only release a handful of eyebrow pencil shades. Mm. and Or some brands at cosmetics will release one shade and say it's universal what are you talking about what universe 
<laughs> what universe are you in? And this really pisses me off because when we discuss the power of makeup, the way it can make your face look and the confidence it can give, brow products are so important for that and they are so overlooked. Almost nothing can make your face look different more than a brow product does. So if you think about people, for example, undergoing chemotherapy, or I once had a student who had alopecia, brow products can go such a long way towards making them feel confident or making them feel comfortable looking at their own faces. And these brands are just like, yeah, here's here's your one option, all people. Stop it. Can we also, I don't know if you're going to get into this, but can we also stop using the word nude like it is a singular oh, yeah. adjective? It's so like, dumb. Rihanna created also a lingerie range that had nude underwear for every skin tone because when she wore that famous crystal see-through dress, she couldn't find mm-hmm. nude underwear for her skin tone. Everywhere and she's a gajillionaire and she could not find nude underwear that matched her skin tone. Beauty influencers stop describing things as like your perfect nude. It's not it's not every it were like the perfect nude. This is the perfect nude lipstick. For who? For who? Yeah, it's no better than saying it's a universal lipstick. There is no universal makeup product except maybe a clear lip gloss. <laughs> nothing is nude. Nothing is universal. Use better words. And there's so many creative people in these industries. I'm going to get into this in a minute. But it's all of this is made worse by the fact that there are so many creative people working in this industry. And yet we keep coming back to these words like nude. Like it means anything. I also <sighs> think... Brands know this. Laura Mercier, for example, their famous setting powder, their translucent setting power powder, for years, they said that was a universal product. Any skin tone can use it. It's translucent. Doesn't matter how deep your skin tone is, you can use this product. Well, like two years ago, they came out with Laura Mercier setting powder, Honey, which is what Nima Tang uses. Okay, so... You have been saying for years that this is a universal product. You have been telling everyone, use this product. It doesn't matter how deep your skin tone is. But then you create one that you say is specifically for deeper skin tones. So what is it? <laughs> is it that this product is These not can't for both skin tones? be true. These, both, these can't both be true. And you know it. You're dirty liars. Yeah, sometimes I do wonder if like they're just trying to pull one over on us or if they think we're stupid. Or if they genuinely are like, or they just made a mistake and there's no one working in their office who's like black, <laughs> which I know is true <laughs> for a lot of brands. Yeah, which is very true. <laughs> I guess there's so many things that could potentially be an issue. And I think all of them are at issue. There aren't any black people sitting in the boardrooms. There aren't any black people making these decisions and they think we're stupid. It's it's all of the above. The so turducken anyway, that brings us, gets The turducken of, of racism. So that brings me into the next thing that we want to talk about. Perfect segue, us, pat on the back, uh, which is that we kind of want to challenge what diversity and inclusivity mean, even in the beauty community and what it leaves out and where it leaves out. And the most common definition usually does revolve around race and color. When I was Googling diversity in makeup, the first like 20 articles were all about foundation shade ranges. And that was the end of 
that deep dive for them. So diversity of skin tone. And I looked, I, I screenshotted a few pictures, in fact, that were like, this brand is doing such a great job for, look how many people of color are in this picture. L'Oreal has 15 people in this picture. 14 of the 15 are women. There's one man in this picture. All of them are under the age of, I'm going to generously say 30. They all have perfect skin. They all are not even when I say conventionally attractive, but they all are conventionally like beautiful people. I'm presuming all thin. Yes. Yes. Correct. I'm tr- I'm trying to see if I can find a single like, I'm using air quotes, flaw on any of these people, but I, I, I cannot. One of them is Blake Lively. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, what I don't know who any of the other ones are. What an yeah. uggo. <laughs> But it includes a handful of people of color. So, you know, diversity, job done. And there are a lot of communities and identities that should be included or that we think should be included in these discussions that rarely are. So as I just alluded to, the idea that people over the age of 30 should perhaps be included or the idea that maybe someone even with wrinkles could be included Like, when was the last time you saw an ad with a model who didn't have perfect skin or who had scarring or scarring, who had scarring or had acne or discoloration or like a tooth gap or freckles? All these things that we say are like imperfections, but that's just like what that's just what people look like. The only time that I generally see those things is in an advertisement for what a full coverage foundation can cover. And not as just, this is the human condition. This is what perfectly normal human skin looks like when wearing these products. Like, can I just see a blush on a person who has redness in their face already? Like I do. Like, how often do you see makeup ads with models who don't present as overtly feminine or female? Trans people, non-binary people, ambiguous. How often do you see men in these ads? And it does feel strange. Like I hear myself wanting to expand my definition of diversity to include men. I know that sounds strange and it is strange, but in this space for men to wear makeup is like edgy when perhaps it shouldn't be. Perhaps it should be perfectly acceptable. Suzanne, um, I think you and I recently watched the same video Molly we Burke. Both watch, yeah, Molly Burke. Yeah, I'm getting to Molly, Molly Burke. Molly what a Burke gem. is a is a actually don't know what her profession is. Is she is she a journalist? No, she's she identifies, she says that she is a content creator and blind disability activist. Ah, okay. So yeah. we watched a video of Molly Burke, who is a blind woman, discussing packaging innovations that help her choose and apply makeup. And I I don't know about you, Sam, but I had never considered that before. I had never considered what it was like for a blind person to apply makeup. And so many of the things that she was talking about were easy, easy fixes, easy things for brands to do. And made me think, number one, fascinating. And number two, I was so ashamed that I had never thought about this before ever. And what else have I not been thinking about? Because I don't seek it out, but it's also just not present. One example she gives in this video 
I look at an eyeshadow palette that is just like a jumble of colors and I'm like, oh, I don't like that because it's ugly because I, I, <laughs> I don't enjoy, know what to do with that. I enjoy things laid out in a gradient. But one thing Molly said was if you are if you are not sighted, the way that you put on makeup in an eyeshadow palette is you memorize the order of the shades. You find a way to identify what the shades are and then you memorize it. She said when palettes are 36 shades and they're all jumbled and the cut, there is no gradient, there is no order to the shades, that it's all just like a giant jumble, she can't use that palette. It's going to be way too much effort. It's going to be way too difficult for her to memorize the placement of the shades. And I also am like, I also don't like those palettes, but it's because I'm like, I don't like it. It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. I don't, but there is a accessible design opportunity that A, makes things, I think, more aesthetically pleasing, and two, makes it accessible for more people to use that product more easily. Like the one I remember most is that there was a, um, an eyeshadow, uh, not eyeshadow, a mascara that the... Mascara was like regular mascara, and then there was a waterproof mascara. And the waterproof packaging was textured on the outside to see to feel like water droplets, basically. So she could tell just by touching which one was waterproof and which one was not waterproof. And I had never thought about this before, and it just seems like, why isn't everybody doing that? Yeah. Probably because, I don't know, it's expensive and they just like don't want to. They just don't want to. I also think it's a matter of, again, what you indicated is it doesn't occur to, it just doesn't occur to people. Like, if you presented it to these brands, they might say, oh, that's interesting. But it would never occur to them, just like you and I, it didn't occur to us until we watched this video. It didn't occur to us. I know. I feel like I'm getting to a point where I'm kind of, I'm conflating marketing with actual products or packaging or things that you can actually buy. And these are separate, but kind of related issues. So in theory, a lot of people who we're talking about being excluded from marketing can still find products that work for their skin. It may not be difficult for them to go to a drugstore or go online and buy products in, in, in theory. But now I kind of want to question what the message is. So when they go to the store, when they go to the brand website, when they go to the brand website, are they being told that this product is for them? So for example, um, Milk Makeup in 2017 did a campaign called Blur the Lines in collaboration with Very Good Light, which is a men's beauty and grooming brand. And this campaign is still on their website, by the way. It, there's a quote, it explores the link between individuality and the gender spectrum It says, quote, the effort to carve a space where people of all genders can use makeup without criticism is not just a trend. It's here to stay. So that was in 2017, which is the same year that Fenty dropped. And they say (laughs) Milk Makeup says their packaging is unisex. And to be honest, I don't really know what that means. Are they talking about colors? Because it's not. It's not. It's not pink. It's not the pink text. Got it. Their website is very industrial. It's not traditionally feminine. And there are a lot of, I guess, people all from all over the gender spectrum, I think, featured on the website. So to me, that would be 
whatever the opposite of putting the putting them on blast is. I'm saying good job on you, milk makeup. I'm sure I'm sure you do other things poorly, but I think I'm glad that you have included more kinds of diversity. So when I think about the strides being made in a lot of industries towards inclusion, and obviously some much more successful than others, um, it seems like there should be so much potential in the beauty industry because there's so many creative people working in this space. And so many trends come from places of diversity, such as the drag community, that it's really a failure, I think, that these brands can't harness that creative energy towards greater inclusivity beyond that most basic level, or even achieving diversity at the most basic level. And there are a lot of reasons why people wear makeup and other beauty products, but one of those is about confidence and self-expression, individuality, and to rarely include anything other than white, female, able-bodied, perfectly skinned 20-year-olds is so limiting. A gender diversity in this space, physical disability, so-called imperfections, even f- like freckles, like I was saying, that including these things is still an exception in a space that is for creativity is very disappointing. And I think we also want to talk a little bit about like possibly the reason for all these all these failures that we've been discussing is that the people that we have been discussing is being left out are being left out at every level. It's not just at the consumer level. It's at the creation no. level, at the marketing level, at the executive level. Yeah. And one study from 2014 said that only 18% of American Chemical Society members, and these are individuals of the American Chemical Society or people who labs who develop and formulate makeup would employ, only 18% of members of the society were people of color. And so from the formulation of the product, there is not, there's not the involvement of people that would maybe have the expertise needed to formulate this product well. So it's, it's, it's at every, it's at every level. I'm sure that there's people with more expertise who can speak to this of what kind of change can be expected if demanding change at the consumer level is enough or if the, or if the change has to come from, from board levels and from marketing and from the people in those positions of power to actually create the products or envision the products or market the products. If, if they say no, is it always going to be a no? And at what point is including more people are, are they even going to be listened to if 90% of the boardroom is, is white I I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I I think it's it's difficult because here's the thing I struggle with. I want institutional change to be genuine. But also I don't care if it's genuine. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I want it to be genuine. I want these decisions to be made to diversify makeup. Because people at every level are being included and that the diversification of makeup flows out of that ethic that affirms the fullness of humanity of all people. But if it's not genuine, I also don't care. Just do it because... <laughs> Just make the product so people can wear them. Yeah, there's uh, the same beauty editor we quoted at the beginning. She wrote in a different article 
she talks about how like these are businesses. I understand that. These aren't social enterprises. Makeup companies are business. It, but she writes, yes, now that they have recognized the spending power of, of, of in this case, she's talking about black women in a post-Fenty world. Now that these brands know the spending power of black women, they are keen to make money out of it. On the other hand, I know of brands that claim inclusivity but will refuse to carry a line targeting darker skin tones because it's, quote, not really our customer. There are others that sell themselves as champions of diversity, and yet the second an image of a darker skinned model on their Instagram feed doesn't rack up the likes, they resort back to a homogenous sea of white. So as much as I say I also don't care if it's genuine, I do also care that it's genuine because the the thing that will make change continue is if it's rooted in a real desire to acknowledge the fullness of humanity of all people. Because if it's simply down to a market decision, as soon as you find a way to be profitable in a way that doesn't require you to be inclusive, you're going to take that chance. If you can keep doing business as usual and make more money, you're going to do that. So there's a part of me that's like, I don't care if it's genuine or not, just do it. And there's another part of me that's like, we also need to have systemic change with who's in the rooms at every level so that it is genuine so that it is sustainable. Because the sustainability is what is needed to make this go beyond a trend, to make this go beyond a brand simply trying to one up another brand. And another complaint that I see is that marketing, the marketing is like, I think that marketing is very important and I think it should be better. And one of the complaints that I see is that for women to say, for, for like, if I was going to sit here and say, like, there needs to be more black women in ads, like, uh, yeah, but what is in the ad is also important. So if black women say, well, that ad does have a black woman in it, but like, it's a stereotype and that's not helpful. Whoever is behind making the decision to make that ad either doesn't recognize that it's a stereotype or doesn't recognize that it's potentially offensive, doesn't recognize that it's pandering. To have real change, it's not enough to say, I have a black model holding this product. It has to mean something. And I think you're right that it's like, we're not going to see real change if we don't see the change happening at the higher levels, making the decisions. So are we saying the Fenty effect is not real or are we saying it is real, but dot, dot, dot? <laughs> I think it, it is real, but dot, 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 because it just needs, it's not like this thing, it's not like a meteor strike and just like, okay, everything's different now. There has to be more effort. It's not yeah, just like I mean, Fenty did it. <laughs> and the and it's, we have to rem- Remember that the reason why Fenty did it was because Rihanna has had the experience of despite being a well-known celebrity who is a gajillionaire, she had the experience of sitting up in makeup chairs and being like, this person does not have the product for my makeup, like to do my makeup. This person does not have the products that are going to work for my skin. So for her, she didn't launch 40 Shades of Foundation. She didn't launch one of the deepest bronzers on the market because... She was like, oh, this is a market opportunity that others haven't yet taken advantage of. She did it because she's been in that chair and been told, we can't serve you. There are still models. Yeah. There are still models who, before they walk a runway, they bring their own foundation with them because they know that the makeup artist isn't going to have foundation. 
So I think what Fenty did was like reset again, like that article said, reset what consumers expect. But she also had the intention behind it because she has been in that position of being told she couldn't be accommodated. And until brands like really have those two things together, I I think the change is a trend. But I think probably on an individual, like it's great that the lip bar, which is a brand that specifically creates lipstick for deeper pigmented lips. So predominantly people who have deeper skin tones, they're, they're now available in Target. That is an indie company that started because they were like, we have a need for lipstick that is specifically formatted for deeper pigmented lips. And Target saw an opportunity to get into the market and reach more consumers. And so they united those like two intentions and the lip bar is now available in Target. Like that's the kind of, I think you need both. I don't think you can just want to make money. I think it has to be motivated by a genuine intention to have change. But capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) And now faithful listeners, we want to hear from you. Are you a Fenty stan? Has your makeup consumption changed in a post-Fenty world? How many Fenty gloss bombs do you own? And do you want to give me one? You can get involved in the discussion by tweeting at us or commenting on this episode's post on Instagram, both places we are at wellherepod. If you want to watch these YouTube videos we've mentioned, if you want to read these articles, what do you need to do? You need to go to wellherepod.com. And click on those links because we're going to clicky, clicky, make them available to you. Don't forget to go to wherever you get your podcasts and click that happy to be blacklisted by Bite Beauty, Hourglass, and Jacqueline Cosmetics button, which you might know as a follow button. Until next time, I'm Suzanne, and I'm a high-performance natural. And I'm Hannah, and I like to blend the rules. And well, here we are. Evergreen, evergreen, I see a mother there, a lover and a child. I know a war will come and take away the.